This is a Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles, presented by Golden Tire, Tech One Designs, Westside Honda, TransCanada Motorsports, Roy Wharton Suspension Systems, and 204 Skate Shop. Motocross news from around the globe, but mostly between Emerson and Brandon. We're not experts over here, but we've got microphones. Check out BigMXRadio.com for more content. Welcome to the Big MX Podcast Show, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles, 204 Skate Shop, Tech One Designs, Westside Honda, Capital Motorsports, Transcanada Motorsports, Roy Borton Suspension Systems, Golden Tire, and new for this week, we've got PRMX, a motorcycle and motocross distribution center out of Quebec, Canada. Uh, I am your host, as usual, Brad Gebhardt, and with me on the line out of Escondido, California, the number... 105, none other than Ryan Hughes. How's it going, Ryan? Uh, it's going good. Going good. Just uh, relaxing a little bit, getting ready to take off to Australia for a week and New Zealand for a week to do some coaching. So, uh, yeah, a little this, a little that. Excellent. How did that, How did uh, a trip to Australia come about? Um, They had the money. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the yeah, truth? No, I get, I get contacted from people around the world that want me to come, you know, tr- uh, train them at their country or whatever, because sometimes it's cheaper for me to go there than for them to come here, rent a bike and all this stuff. So I get to travel around the world a bit to uh, train people for a week and, this, and things like that. So, you know, that part's good. Get to see different countries, different, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, civilizations and just, just yeah. uh, a different way of life. So it's, it's kind of cool that way. But the in-between stuff, I don't dig that much with the, the traveling, so it's all good. <laughs> have you ever have you ever gone over there to race? I uh, raced one time in '07. Raced this uh, race they had with the. Uh, it was like New Zealand against uh, um, Australia, and then they brought me in to be the American. So, uh, so it was a good trip. So this might be my third time down there. Excellent. No, it's. Uh, I'd love to attend down there someday. It's, it's good that, to hear that your uh, uh, your your business is taking you places, and that's uh, one of the great things about motocross is that it can really uh, allow you to see the world. Yeah, it definitely has let me see the world. I've seen you know, I've raced in Europe and traveled all around the world. I've been about every state in uh, in America, racing or driving through it. So I've definitely seen my part of the you know my share of the world. But uh, that's why. I think my happiest place is just sitting at home. <laughs> I've, traveled, I've traveled so much. But, yeah, motocross is, is good that way. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to make it to a point where you can do that, it gets to show you, you know, many new places. For sure. And now, obviously, like, you're, um, you're, you're done with the professional motocross racing. I believe you are back on the bike, are you not? Uh, no, I'm not back on the bike. I, like I said, I broke my back. Uh, right. Yeah, I broke my back about a year and a half ago, so I haven't got on the bike yet. Okay. Do you, do you have plans to uh, to one day throw the leg over again or focus uh, on uh, cycling? Yeah, I don't know. I probably will. I think I don't know. It, it's it's up you know, it's up in the air. I mean, there's days that I want to. There's days that I don't even think about it, and you know, and uh, this and that. So I guess one, maybe the winter time comes around. Um, I might just go out to the vet track and kind of just cruise around. I've got I don't have much as much strength in my right arm as I used to. So anything kind of violent or quick could throw my hand off and I definitely don't want to be hurt anymore so um you know if I do it'll be nothing too exciting (laughs) 
Well, worst case, Ontario, you can just be the fastest guy at the vet track at uh, Milestone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. You know, you know what? Uh, uh, so now your your uh, focus is mainly on the, the training of athletes, taking on young athletes. As I believe you started mainly with amateur athletes, and now you now work with uh, some top athletes like uh, Dean Wilson and, and and many others. Uh, how did that all come about? Um, and, uh, and and what way do you want to start working with young athletes and kind of taking what you've learned uh, through a very, uh, a, like what would someone say, an up and down career or maybe like a, you basically ran the gamut of what you're, uh, of, of what a rider can experience in a professional motocross career. Uh, what inspired you to take all that knowledge and pass that on to today's youth? Um, I don't know. I guess I've just always been a guy that loves to share. You know, I love to share what I have. I love to share uh, things that I do, things that uh, I have experienced. Uh, um, you know, share to be, you know, sharing to help uh, people in different areas. I don't know. So it's, I guess that's kind of the one thing I love to, you know, just share what I have and what I have is experience. What I have is knowledge. What I have is, uh, you know, you know, and also have a gift to teach. So. Those two things kind of come together, and that's what keeps me doing this. And um, you know, so I started in '07, I think, with uh, Josh Grant and uh, and Brett Metcalf, and then went to uh, then I had Jason Lawrence and um, Josh Hill, and then uh, worked with Eli and um, you know Dean. And so there's been there's been quite a few from Tickle to, to Izzy. To, I mean, I could name them all. But anyways, there's been a lot of that, and um, you know. Uh, and I've done a lot of training with, uh, you know, the amateurs and stuff like that. Just kind of getting into training with uh, some of the kids, like the little kids, mm-hmm. the up-and-coming kids, uh, you know, 60s, 80s. And that, I think, is where I'm going to start putting my focus because, you know, at the top, it's, uh, you know, it's more of kind of being a babysitter, uh, kind of chasing them around. Right, and these guys know what they're that, supposed to be doing. They're, like, you basically yeah, they know what they're to, supposed to be yeah. doing, but the thing is that they go wrong is that they only... They keep they keep focusing on what they know how to do, and they keep focusing just solely on training. They're not focusing on making their technique better, which will make their speed better, which will make them have more efficiency, which will make them, uh, I guess, stay off the ground more. Because your speed and your safety is only good as your technique allows. So for me, you know, up there they're already kind of conditioned this and that, and it's kind of hard to be told that you could be doing doing something better. But everybody can do something better from from uh, you know, from Ricky Carmichael to Derek Jeter to Tiger Woods to whatever LeBron James, everybody can be better. And our sport is the only sport that doesn't focus truly on technique. It only goes to make my bike faster and and train. Okay, but you're going to come to a point where your speed's too fast for your technique to handle, and you're going to become flat with your speed. Or any time that you go over that point, you're going to have mistakes and crashes. So. This is what I want to do because when I go to the tracks and I see these pictures and I see these kids, they're just so dangerous. They're just in such the bad position and wrong position, and they're starting out that way. And the only thing that they're focusing on is going fast because their dad's telling them to go fast, and the only way to get sponsors is to win. And they and our sport is so it's such a quick sport by you're not in it long, you know. And so then they graduate to the next bike, and they still have that faulty technique, that faulty way of riding, and now the bike is heavier and faster, so now everything happens faster, and they can't handle it, and this is why... Oh. I've lost you there. ...starting off with neck braces and things that are that are hindering their functional movement. 
right. as, as, as a human being. So when they're on the bike, they get in the worst possible position just to be able to see. And so now their body is conditioned to be in that worst possible position, the most dangerous possible position to be in to see up. And so now when they take that to the next bike to the next bike is when I believe we're getting so many more crashes because when you start out in a bad position, you end up in a bad position. You start out in a good position, you end up in a good position, no matter how big or small the mistake or bobble is. So this is what you know, I truly want to focus on is, is trying to get these kids conditioned, you know, not, not fitness-wise, nothing like that, just technique-wise because once mm-hmm. you have your technique, then sky's the limit. And these, some of these kids are just so held back because they just don't know how to ride the motorcycle. No one's ever taught them. And this is just how they started, and this is how they keep doing it. But once you can really change a kid, kid's technique on how to ride the motorcycle and how to look at it, you, you'd, you'd be amazed at how much faster they can get and how much smoother they can get and how much how many less crashes they have because now everything's happening as it should. You know, the body and the bike and the track are all working as one. You know, the body's not doing something opposite of the, of the bike and the track's not doing something to the bike and it's throwing you off balance because you've already started off balance. Right. You get what I'm saying? So, and oh, I totally get you. What like, I think uh, can help, oh, go ahead. This is what I think can help. You know, I might be able to help 2% of the sport. But, you know, our sport is struggling, our sport is dying, our sport, we don't have, you know, everybody's so concerned about making a buck right now in our sport. So what we need to do is how do we get more of the Ryan Dungeons, the Ken Roxons, the Eli Tomax up there? Well, if, they, if their speed flattens out because they've never been taught right or they're always injured or get injured, well, we're not going to have many riders uh, going up there. You know, I know there's a money thing also, but... There's a lot of stuff where I see is people just get burnt out because they just are injured and injured and injured and injured and then they're done. You know, they can't. A lot of people can't keep going after they've been injured a few times, and you know, and then we lose we lose guys left and right. Right, like uh, one of the riders I had on last night, Shay Bentley, uh, victim to many a crash. Which uh, even to his, uh, he admitted that honestly, if he had been able to stay healthy through his career, he may have been able to pick up a few wins or a few more wins. Uh, before uh, he had to hang up the boots in 2005. Yeah, I mean, you know, it happens. It happens to everybody. Not everybody, but uh, you know, it happens to a ton of people that go through injuries. Some people can uh, fight through the injuries a little bit more than others, and uh, so that just depends on the rider. But uh, you know, I, I just see this in, in the sport right now as the kids that are young just are so they're starting off so bad. And if you go to a baseball practice, a football practice, a basketball practice, a soccer practice, all those coaches are usually working on technique on how to do these little things, you know. Our sport yep. is only working on how to go fast, how to beat that clock. Everybody has a stopwatch. Well, <laughs> you only can go so fast when when your your, your technique can't handle anymore, right? Yeah, so, and you can only go so fast when you got a broken arm. Yeah, well, yeah, you're sitting on the couch. So if, if let's say, Derek Jeter's not hitting good, they're not going to go put them in the cage and go, okay, we're going to hit home runs. They're going to put them back on the tee. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and sure. same, with, same with the golf swing. They're going to go, they're going to go in stages, not one, basics. two, three, in stages, not just hit 300-yard hits. So the same thing, and this is how I've gotten so many riders better, is through their technique. I never tell my riders to go faster. They go faster automatically because they have more confidence to go faster because they have more control uh, because their technique allows it. Just like Eli was saying after uh, – um, Millville, 
we had a little talk and he's like, man, I've really, really been working on my technique, really been, you know, working on what you've been saying, you know, after Supercross. And it showed, it showed a hundred percent, everything that we talked about, boom, he was doing. And, you know, and, and I've had conversations with Dungey, I've had conversations with the Rocks and conversations with Muskin. And you see, I see what the difference is. I see with their feet, I see with their hips, I see with what they're doing that, uh, you know, that it's working and, and they've listened. Excellent. So uh, before we get too, too much into the, 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 the what's happening right now with Ryan Hughes, let's, uh, first of all, before, and, and, and before we jump into your career, let's, let's um, do a few, um, it's called, it's your p- pick your poison um, segment brought to you by 204 Skate Shop. And this is basically just a pick one or the other, uh, designed a little bit to loosen each other up a little bit so in our conversation so we can go, go forward and, uh, and have a little fun with this. So most of these are um, are picked in somewhat of a humorous manner, but also just to get to know you be- uh, better overall uh, to yep. um, for our listeners. You ready for that? Yep. Okay, perfect. So uh, your first, it's just basically I'm just gonna list them off rapid succession. You just pick one or the other, and uh, the, I'll follow uh, your answer with the next question. Starting with outdoors or supercross. Outdoors. Uh. High Point or Glen Helen? Glen Helen. Motocross or cycling? Motocross. Top end screaming two stroke or low end grunt? Uh, two stroke. Uh, <clears throat> a 30 second board girl or 30 second board referee? Uh, referee. So I thought you'd pick more, more professional. There you go. Guacamole or salsa? Uh, both mixed together. Ah. Fair enough. <laughs> um, one twenty-five or two fifty two-stroke? Mm, uh, one twenty-five because of noise. Or the sound, I guess. Yeah. The there sound. you go. David Bailey or Ricky Johnson? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I'm good friends with both of them. Um, I was gonna say. Yeah, I'm good friends with both of them, but I guess I have to say I idolized Bailey before Johnson. Fair enough. He did come. Uh, did come a little earlier. Uh, barbecue or Cajun? Barbecue. Talk or text? Uh, depends on who the person is. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, night owl or early riser? Early, early riser. Early, early riser, just like my old yeah. man. Excellent. Now those are the two zero four skate shop. Uh, pick your poison questions. Basically, just designed to, like I said, loosen us up a little bit so that we can go forward and have have a good time with this. Uh, so like. I want. I wanted to basically go right back to where it all started, and, and I'm curious. As as a young man, you're you're born born in Escondido, or at least close to there. Uh, yeah, yeah, born and raised in Escondido. Born and raised Escondido, California. Where did this love for motorsports and motorcycles begin? Like, did your did your dad buy you a bike? Did you? Uh, where did it all start? And what and what bike did you start on? Uh, my dad. My dad used to ride and stuff like that in the desert and trails. And then, uh, you know, I had a brother that was 
couple years older than me, and we always rode, and I used to ride three-wheelers and stuff and rode, you know, motorcycle here and there. Mm-hmm. But I played soccer, played football and all that, and I was going to be, you know, professional soccer player. Then I found football, and I found out I could hit people and didn't get in trouble for it. So I was like, yeah, okay, let's play this sport. So I played that sport, and I was going to be professional in that, and that was it. And my brother raced, and I didn't want to race, and then he had to quit because my dad had to work more. And then in 90 or 84, he started racing again. And they, you know, they wanted me to, to race, and I didn't want to race. And they finally kind of talked me into it. Finally got out there, and I won my first my first six races. And uh, I was like, oh. So uh, after you know, after a couple of races, I was like, all right, I can win without having a team. All right, this is my sport. And from there, I was like, all right, I'm going to be a professional in this. And every day since that day that that clicked, I've uh, has just been just been obsessed with motocross. You know, there hasn't been a day that has gone by that hasn't done something pretty much for motocross. You know. Well, uh, just as a curious question, uh, what position did you play in football? I played punter, kicker, quarterback, and defensive end. There you go. Whoa! Defensive oh, I never, end. I never left. I never left the field. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> Mister Versatility out there. <laughs> Jack of all trades. Um, yeah, growing yeah. up, uh, you uh, you grew up in the hotbed of motocross. Uh, what was it like growing up around the 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 RJs and you see seeing these guys at the track and and just the the David Bailey's and the like. Well, we didn't have we didn't have. Around. Well, we didn't have tracks back then. Our tracks yeah. were in the hills, and our tracks were okay. the worst tracks you could possibly ride. But that's why you you saw a a Rick Johnson, a Lachine, a Burnsworth. Yeah. A Bader Manet, um, you know, a um, Larry Brooks, a Mike Craig, myself, um, Jeremy McGrath. Uh, I mean, just on and on. There are so many guys that came from this area because I believe the tracks. The tracks were so rough and kind of we didn't get we don't get rain, so it just gnarly. And you had to learn how to ride and ride good and have good technique. And this is why you're not seeing many good Cal many riders come from California anymore. The tracks are too easy. The tracks are too groomed. The tracks are Attraction for vets, man. There's, there's yeah, no challenge. Perfect. You don't have to have you don't have to have good technique. You just sit on the bike and do it. The outside world thinks that we do is just sit on the seat and get a gas. That's all they do. Now, when they get rough tracks, they don't know what to do, and that's why most guys get to about that top, that pro level, and they can't go any farther because now they get to the nationals and the tracks are so rough that they can't even ride them. And again, then it takes such a another level to be at the top on the 250 class. Then it takes a completely another level to be at the top in the 450 class, and this is why you see guys stay there for such a long time because there's not very there's very few human beings that can do what they do. I mean, it's it's true. There's there's it's it's to go the pace that they go at the tracks that they ride is people does they can't understand it, and so this is what you know I'm saying about you know Southern California. Now we don't have mm-hmm. those tracks in the hills; they're all gone, and so. You know, back in my day, where I wouldn't see many guys at the track. It'd just be me and Phil Lawrence, or me and Mike Craig, or me and by myself, just riding in the hills, just dust, and that's about it. But that created a good rider because you learn to relax, being out of control, and that's why it's so good to always ride the roughest and the, and the gnarliest track you can ride because you know how to go fast. But how to go fast in rough stuff takes it takes experience. 
For sure. That must be a very uh, a, a mental barrier that a lot of these riders have to get over. Uh, and quite quickly, I might add, uh, once they go into the pro ranks, because like I said, like like uh, if you go to a uh, either an amateur day or uh, even the, you, you look at a lot of the tracks at amateur nationals, or you, like when I, I've gone down to California, I've ridden Milestone and Comp Edge and all this stuff. The, they're a highway. The the yeah, track is basically just uh, an absolute like it's great soil. And I don't know if it's great soil, but it's they're all groomed to perfection. The faces are nice and yeah. flat. The jumps are safe. There's not a whole lot of big gaps. And yeah, like you said, well, we don't need you don't need you don't need jumps, and that's that's no. the good thing is I'm seeing the nationals and nationals are tying, taming all their jumps down. There's no racing in jumps, you know no. what I mean? Maybe supercross, but not nationals. It, the racing is in the rut, in the ruts, and the rough, and the stuff like that. So yeah, mm-hmm. the tracks in California are terrible. They're terrible. You know, it's almost it's so hard to teach there because there's nothing. That, there's a, I mean, come on, we have never be racing on the road, but it's all a business. That's all. It's all a money thing. You know. Yeah. So well, it is people, what it is. People but, show uh, up to. There's a lot of amateur well, people. A, well, there's more. There's more people that just ride on the weekend and just ride for fun than there's racers. A ton right. more. So that's what the track is designed for. Yeah, though it's a playground for uh, your weekend warrior to uh, go out yeah. and be a badass on a bike, and you can you can go. You feel better when you can go fast, and you can go fast when the track is easy. Exactly. It's it's very it's very easy to go fast, but I believe that makes it more dangerous because then it allows you to ride over your head. When the track is rough, you don't ride over your head. When the track's smooth, you can ride over your head very easily. And that, so, and, and it gives them more run to do jumps that they shouldn't be doing. And that makes there, a lot of a, sense. Many, com- many combinations, because even when I rode, it would, a smooth track would allow me to ride over my head. When the track was rough and four-foot holes, hey, I pick and choose what I'm doing. I'm not going to ride over my head. I'm you know, because the fastest way is to be smooth around a rough track, to hold momentum around a rough track. When it's smooth, you can just go anywhere, pin it, be you know, feet be anywhere, be in any position. And that's where I believe we're getting so many more crashes and injuries because of, of, of the smooth tracks allow so much more speed. Well, that's uh, an interesting statement as uh, um, it, upon a trip this last uh, January, on uh, New Eve of all days, uh, I went to Competitive Edge, and uh, you've been there lately, have you not? Um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, last year, yeah. Yeah, there's that big uh, kind of quad, triple jump, like kind of step up jump right by the announcing tower there. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, um, I was going around second, or it was third lap of the day, and feeling quite confident. This Canadian kid uh, laying down some half decent lap times having only been on the track for a couple of laps right away and uh i decided i would uh try and launch my kx252 stroke up over top of that jump right there and uh the thing came up from under me and um landed directly on my tailbone right on the very edge of the the quad landing so basically right on that mm. nice big flat spot and uh my tailbone still clicks when i stand up so yeah we probably broke it <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh um yeah. That being said, I think I, I, I'm a, a living example of what you were just talking about. Yeah, so that's, you know, I mean, you you got to have both sides of it, but, you know, you can make cool jumps with uh, that are still safe, and, you know, it's, just, you know it, it's, not, it's not the big deal with the guys that have experience, it's the guys that don't, and but you're giving them too much of a chance to do something that's out of their, their experience level zone, I guess, so... Excellent. So, who did you ride most with, or who were some of the rivals that you had as you grew up riding? 
Um, I grew up riding with Mike Craig. I mean, he was an amazing rider, uh, you know, when he was younger. Um, him, I rode myself and Jeremy, you know, MC rode a lot together. Uh, Phil Lawrence, we'd practice a lot together. You know, I did a lot of riding by myself, too. I just, you know, for me, I just, I did my work, man. And um, that, racing-wise, uh, of course, you know, like my rivals, you know, McGrath, Huffman, uh, Henry, Lampson, um, Mike Brown, um, Grant Langston, you know, stuff like those are the ones I had the biggest battles with. For sure, yeah, especially you and uh, Langston coming down to uh, the last moto there uh, at uh, Steel City, just a few points away from a national championship that uh, I believe should have your name on it, to be uh, to, to be completely honest, yeah. but uh, I won't tell Grant that. Yeah, well, we got one one race at uh, Steel City got rained out twice, so, um, you know, never got a chance to to uh, try to get that title. I was eight points away, and that was a good track for me. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, brought it down from 30 points, uh, I think it was like four races ago or something like that. So I was on a roll. And I never got a chance. And KTM didn't dispute it because we're both on KTMs and maybe they had the championship. So if it was another manufacturer, then I think there would have been another race because that's what it was kind of coming down to is that if if, if, if there's another manufacturer, then they say, yeah, we need to have a race that happened. But the 250 title was sewn up, so they called KTM. And KTM's like, no, we don't. You know, we don't really care, so they kind of canceled it. They were going to put it in another weekend or another place. And so, anyways, I uh, got uh, asked out of that one. But you know, what what could have, should have, would have, and uh, is what it is. <laughs> For sure, you know, like it was. Uh, I got to imagine that there was a pretty decent divide in that truck. I believe you guys. I don't know who who else were you on the team with that that year, other than maybe Steve Boniface. Yeah, I think Boniface was on that team. Yeah, Boniface was your teammate, a team of, I believe, three riders. And uh, obviously yourself and Grant were uh, far and away the, the favorites. And uh, yourself uh, winning and also competing at Southwick with a broken leg. Um, yeah. Iron Man for days there. But um, nevertheless, like, I think that um, it's got to be a feather in your cap. And that's something that uh, in your heart, you know that you uh, laid it out on the line and uh, did everything you could. And uh, if you had actually been able to ride at the national right after Southwick, I can't remember if that was Millville or not. Yeah, uh, uh, Buds Creek. Buds Creek, yeah. If you would have even scored a few points at Buds Creek, um, who's to know whether or not you would have um, uh, been able to, uh, to 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 wrap that up? But nevertheless, um, a lot of accolades that you amassed over your career, and a lot of respect that you earned uh, from from the riders that you you raced against. Um, when you, when you made your, your step into the pro ranks, um, who was guiding you in, in making the decision that you made and, and, uh, and kind of helping you into that process or was there anyone? No, yeah, there was me. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> that was it. When I was, the voice when, in I your head. Inter- when I, when I won the intermediate class, uh, I mean, I, you know, the people that I rode with, but yeah. there was no mentors back then. It was, we did it all on our own. And so once I was fast enough to win the intermediate class, I said, boom, let's go pro. When I was an amateur pro, won all that stuff. Okay, let's go to national. And my first moto, I got fifth. And it was on from there. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I started racing in 84 and by 911 beginner, 80. And by 88, 1988, in four years, I was 125, 250 pro. So it went quick. It went quick for me because um, I just have that ability to put something in my mind and, uh, when I want it, nothing, <laughs> nothing even exists except that. So 
it uh, makes it makes things very easy that way. So you were a team green rider uh, coming through the ranks as an amateur, were you not? Um, 80, 88, I started riding for team green. Okay. And did that support carry with you? Did you carry that support with you as you approached uh, San Diego in uh, 1990 when I was two years old? Yeah, uh, 1990, yes. I won, uh, I won uh, both A classes at Loretta's that year. So, yeah, when you're pooping your pants, I was spraying champagne. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, no, non-alcoholic, by the way. But either way, um, yeah. You, like, uh, was was the Kawasaki um, support there for you when you had turned pro? Uh, yeah, I mean, when I turned pro, you know, amateur pro. Uh, I think my first deal was like three bikes and fifteen hundred dollars in parts, and I thought I made the. I thought I was factory. I thought I made it. You know, we finally made it. But then, um, you know, but that was good. It was a good good step. And then the next year, we, you know. I don't know what it got. Then after that, it was factory. So um, then, then you get whatever you want. <laughs> there, there is no no when you're in factory. So it's good. Excellent. So you know, the last uh, podcast that I uh, uploaded to my website was none other than Chad Watts, and he had a couple mm. of uh, of Ryan Hughes stories. Uh, I would love for you to uh, to um, to give us a story of uh, of a of a young Chad Watts as uh, as you knew him uh, very early in uh, actually at the tail end of your amateur career and uh, as you stepped into the pro ranks. Uh, you cut out for a while. Oh. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, it won't actually get. Um, it's recorded on my side. So either way, um, I I, I would like. We had, I had Chad Watts on this on the show there, and yeah. I would love if if you like he had a few, few stories about you. Uh, is there mm-hmm. any way that you could uh, share a few stories? Of course, ones that you can share uh, is a family show um, of of ones uh, of Chad Watts. Um, yeah, we uh, one time I went back. We were back uh, at his house, and he was graduating from high school, and they're having a you know senior thing, I guess, at uh, Myrtle Beach, and he lived in. Um, Hmm, North Carolina, Shelby, North Carolina. So I don't know, it was like four or five, six hour drive or whatever it was. And so he, Chad Watts was, he just floored it everywhere he went. I think he made it across America in probably a day and a half and just absolutely floored it. By the time we got to Myrtle Beach in four hours, he got pulled over five times. <laughs> That's an expensive ride. You guys five times, have... five times he got pulled over for speeding in a four hour trip. We're, uh, it's the funniest thing on earth. So that that's Chad Watts for you. Holy, that's uh, you might as well have done private jet. Yeah, all the other all the other stuff I can't say. So fair enough. Well, that's a that's a that's a pretty racy one as he was going pretty quick, but uh, yeah. speaks volumes to the uh, um, the '90s feel that uh, that motocross may have uh, have had before um, Ricky came in and made things a little bit less fun. Um, yeah, our sport was, our, you know, like in my era, myself and Emig and McGrath and that, you know, we had personalities. We, um, you know, we, we, we hung out together mm-hmm. and I, th- I think it was cool. I think it was good for the sport. You know, now there's just so many things. It seems like it's just a bunch of, you know, it's just, it's just talk shit and back, backstab each other all the time. And, you know, where, where did the, the commodity go? So we used to, you know, we used to race each other to the death, you know, we hit each other this and that, but then the next week we're going to be out the river or we practice together the next, you know, the next week and everything would be cool. So, you know, I mean, no times change and, and, you know, there's more money into it and more this and more that, but, um, you know, 
we were just as serious as everybody else, but we also had fun because that's why we started racing motocross was because it was fun. But I think you, you, I think the fans saw it when we interviewed or when we, you know, when they talked to us. We're not just a brown paper bag saying the same damn thing every, every single weekend, which is is just what we have now. It, it it's terrible. I, I don't even watch the interviews because I already can tell you what they're going to say. You know. And yeah. yeah, I'd love for, I'd love for someone to say, you know, my sponsors. This is what happened in the race, not some some scripted thing like uh, the president or something. <laughs> or at least, at the very least, say that my Dunlop tires were hooking up, rather than I just want to thank Dunlop tires for I don't know, maybe they gave him a back rub before yeah. the moto, but like they don't really say much. Like I I actually had this conversation with Shay Bentley, and uh, it basically like, do you feel that maybe like if that the the top riders in the sport that we remember most are guys like uh, your Ricky Johnsons, your Jeremy McGraths, guys like yourself who um, took the opportunity that when the microphone was in their 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 face and they had the opportunity to to speak to their fans or to to the media that they were candid and actually continued to entertain because as professional motocross racers you are uh, in, in a way you're entertainers and. The entertainment doesn't stop when the motocross bike stops. It continues on into the the interview where when you can be candid, when you can carry a good interview like um, like any of those that I just that is mentioned, like a Travis Pastrana, um, that that actually adds value to your brand as a rider. Would you agree? No, yeah, 100%, you know, because um, there's many writers that are out there that are good, they're just not popular because there's nothing to them. They're just, there's no personality, there's no pizzazz to them, they're just, they ride a motorcycle and then that's it. So, you know, of course, it's hard sometimes to be in such a talkative mood in this and that after a hard 30-minute moto or a 20-lap main event at heart rate of 190, 195, you're almost, you're almost not even present yet, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you have to, to go that fast and to hit every line like they do for 30 minutes or 20 laps without making a mistake. It's almost, it's almost a meditative zone. It's almost, you know, you can't even explain it. And that's why a lot of people can't get there. Um, but so it's almost, you know, you almost see them sometimes almost see like they're in a little bit of a trance and then they kind of come out of it. And, but you can't not to be at that level of concentration, that level of concentration, you know, you can't even, it's hard to even talk about because, uh, you know, there's no sports on earth that you're doing, you know, all four extremities are moving at the same time, you know, while you're controlling a 230-pound motorcycle with 60 horsepower on a track that's alive, meaning it's changing every single lap with head-to-toe gear, with blurred vision, with 40 other riders in there, you know, and uh, I guess the ultimate consequence is death. So, for sure. you know, do do that, and then, uh, you know, for, for 30 minutes, as fast as you possibly can, you, you know, you're not going to be Mr. Bubbly or Mr. Conversation afterwards. <laughs> right, exactly. But the, I, I I think there are a lot of riders and I think the industry would benefit from more riders who um, are maybe trained in the ability to do that. Like, um, Well, they, what they there... need to do is they need to, they need to just, it, but it, it's hard because motocross takes so much time, you know, so much yeah. training, so much riding, so much this, you know, other things aren't. They need, everybody needs to just take a page out of like Ken Block's book and stuff like that on how to promote yourself and how to make a brand out of yourself. And when they can, if you took a page out of Ken Block's book and you'd figure out how to do it, you'd have a team of people, you know, doing it for you, you know, Instagrams and Twitters and this and that and photos and fan bases and doing all these things. And then you just have to make sure that you 
have a little bit of a personality on on the on the microphone, you know, because it's just too hard to as a motocross to do it because everything you're exhausted. You're just training and training and training right. and riding and training and traveling and testing and you know what I mean? It's 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 hard to do that. But that's where I think, you know, if I had a rider come up and they had that potential, you know, it would be kinda that way because the more you promote yourself, the more sponsors want you. Nowadays it's not even on so much results, it's how many followers you have. Because yeah, Jake Weimer, Jake, you know, I mean, uh, there's many riders, uh, Josh Grant or Jake Weimer, not taking anything away from them. It's just, I'm just, it's just reality here that I have no idea who they're sponsored by. No idea, because they're not, on, they're not on podium. The only time I know who, who's sponsored by who is when they get on the podium, and that's it. Yeah. So if I'm going to sponsor someone, I'd rather with my company. If this guy was intense, but he had 300,000 followers, then the guy getting fifth and he had 1,000 followers, I'd probably take the one that had 300,000. Totally, absolutely. You, 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 because, can, you can market yeah, a character. Both those, yeah, both those guys aren't going to get on the podium, so I'll never know who their sponsor is. But So I'd rather have the guy that has more followers because then my brand is getting put out there all the time. And that's this, well, that's this world right now, unfortunately. Well, that that's one of the strengths of, say, like a... a uh, Jimmy Albertson, who uh, really puts himself out there, he he plays to the crowd. He he uh, um, puts puts in a lot of work, but also make, seems he makes ra- racing motocross for a living look pretty fun. And I think that's something that a lot of the, the of his sponsors can uh, can can be can be drawn to. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sorry, uh, I just uh, I, where did this um, the Rhino Power and the the development side of things all come about? Like uh, you talk about. Uh, wanting to um, give back to the the younger riders and, and start with the fundamentals. Uh, where did this all come about? And uh, now that you have a business partnership with Ryan McCarthy, um, yeah, it came about probably three, almost. Yeah, I think we're going on our fourth year right now. Yeah, it came up that I just had an idea of making some supplements and stuff like that. Had a guy that uh, made some supplements and didn't really want to do anything with them because he had you know bigger business, but he was a triathlete and just had fun with making his own stuff, and I used the stuff, uh, Josh Hill used the stuff, and uh, Jason Lawrence did, and I was like, after for a while, I didn't, I didn't tell anybody because they were so good, so I, one day I say, you want to want a private label and let me take them, and he's like, okay, let's do it, and so anyways, we, so I came up with the name, Rhino Power, came up with the thing, well, what does a rhino do, it charges, so charge life, okay, bitching, got that, and then, uh, so the big thing is, I just wanted to, I see, you know, everybody's spending so much money on their bikes, on their fuel, on their oil, on their everything, but they spend no, no money on themselves. They go to McDonald's. <laughs> you know, they're, they're spending, they're getting 110 octane gas and the best tire and the best this and the best this, and then they go buy a 99-cent uh, fucking meal. Excuse my language, but um, it's about like that because it's pathetic. You know, that you guys want to go ride this motorcycle, the most dangerous sport on earth, that you know, the hardest sport on earth, and be so malnutrition your fuel is at like 30 octane <laughs> and then you want to blame the bike and blame other things because you're not right. doing good or you're getting tired or you're blaming your trainer or whatever it is but but look at what you're you're, you're feeding yourself so and and then energy drinks and stuff like this yes i understand that they fuel our sport and this and that but yeah they're not fueling the body so that's why I wanted to come out with stuff that, that, that racers could truly use and, and hopefully have a name on it that people could trust. You know, that, uh, look, I'm not going to put something out there just to make a buck because I use it too. So if I'm going to use it, it better be the best. And so came up with that, and then uh, we just we just started kind of, <laughs> we started very, very small. We started with like 10 grand, 
and at a, at a Ryan's house because I had so much stuff going on, and so he took it. And then now, you know, we have our own warehouse, our own offices. We're in Europe, we're in Australia, New Zealand, South America, Canada, um, so many places, and, and things are just growing. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a slow process, and but we're in it for the long haul for sure. So uh, of the riders that you've worked with as well as ones that you uh, you see out there on the track, obviously you're very well connected. What is the biggest mistake or biggest uh, issue that uh, is hindering or holding back uh, today's motocross racer at both the grassroots and professional level? Um, I would say the biggest one of the biggest things in the amateur ranks is the neck brace. Um, is holding the most of them back. And the top, uh, top guys, I would say more technique-wise would be they don't use their feet. They don't use their, their feet enough to control the motorcycle at the lowest point possible from bike to ground closest to the rear wheel. That's why all the weight on a motorcycle is down low. The lower you put the weight, the better that bike handles. So the lower you hang onto the bike, the more control you're going to have. And your legs are much stronger than your arms. And at the highest point of the bike is where the lightest point is, so that's where you need to be the loosest. And with your arms, your arm only controlling 10% of the bike, not 90% of the bike, because the bike has, is, uh, is, is separated from front end to back end at the headset. So when you're trying to control 90% of the bike, the heaviest part of the bike, where all the horsepower and everything with your arms, you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. You're just being tight. And if you tighten your arms up to try to control the bike, then you over-exaggerate everything that bike's going to do. Every tuck, every wash, every head shake is going to be more. And if you're trying to control the bike with your arms, you're going to be like a lessee more counterbalance in the bike. When the bike goes right, he goes left. The bike goes left, he goes right. Not like Villapoto where his upper body stays centered and, the lower, and his lower body is doing all the work. So these are things, probably feet and maybe uh, you know right at the hips. And but I can go on for hours about that. Uh, sure. So those, those couple things. <laughs> yeah, just those 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 huge those few minor major things that you that you mentioned. Um, yeah. What has been your most uh, rewarding uh, experience working with uh, athletes? And this will be the uh, last couple questions here. Um, I don't. Know. I guess just seeing. I guess working with some of these amateur kids and just seeing seeing them progress so much, and. Uh, um, and just how, how how excited they are, how happy they are, you know, just because they've been putting so much work in and nobody believes in them and nobody's given them anything and nobody even looks at them, but they're getting so much better without anybody even noticing. But you can see the motivation come out of them. That That's very rewarding, you know. Um, yeah, that, that's more than, you know, to me, somebody winning a, a pro race. Because <laughs> they've already won before, you know. They've already are at the top and, and you know, I don't know. I get more satisfaction out of that. Excellent. Putting a lot of uh, importance on the fundamentals of sport, and it's that's uh, amazing. Um, where do you see um, where do you see Rhino Power going from here, and where do you see your uh, like? Obviously, you said your focus is probably going to go towards the younger athletes to uh, to work on that grassroots level, so that their foundation can be as solid as possible. But where do you see your brand and your focus going forward? And that's uh, that'll be it. Um. Well, you know, I see Rhino Power being global. I, I really do. I, it is it's starting already, and we're in so many different sports. Um, our product, I believe, is you know, is is better than the rest. And it's not just because of you know I have it. That's all I, you know, I'm I don't put anything out unless it's the best. We 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 take the hit on the extra to give them the best quality. So yeah, we could take other products and lose, you know, not take so much. Um, 
you know, take other products and skimp on them, less quality to gain more money. But we want better quality, you know, less money, so to speak. Because again, like I say, I use my products, so I'm not going to use something that's not the best. Excellent. You know what, Ryan? I really appreciate you taking uh, some time with us this evening. Uh, like, like I said, really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us and uh, um, give our listeners a good uh, idea of uh, uh, what you stand for, what your belief system is in terms of uh, of riding, as well as uh, of your your the vision for your company and some of the riders that you've worked with and stuff like that. As well as giving our listeners uh, a little bit of insight into you as an athlete and uh, with your pro career that uh, you had uh, many a race wins, national wins, and uh, should have been a uh, 125 national championship uh we really appreciate your time and uh, we wish you uh safe travels to australia and if it's all right with you we'd like to call you again once you return to uh run down that product list uh from rhino power it's just so that you can go through uh one by one and kind of um explain each one and maybe uh give some insight into uh how some of our our listeners if they would like to go pick up some of their stuff where they can get it and uh how it uh, how you think or how you know that it should be used uh in a workout program yeah not a problem i'll definitely come on again so yeah i would i would definitely run that down but uh, i have to get to get to my kids before, Absolutely, uh, before my I friend. take off. So, <laughs> now I appreciate having me on. Thanks uh, for everybody who's listening. And uh, if you want to check out more product, uh, rhinopower.com. Also, uh, we didn't get to talk about uh, rhinopowergym.com, online yeah. training technique, uh, uh, movements, nutrition, flexibility, you know, everything on there. Everything's videoed and stuff like that. So, check those two out. If you're looking for personal training, then uh, rhinoinstitute.com. And that should uh, sum it up. I appreciate it, and everybody take care. Perfect, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again. Okay, thanks a lot, bud. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.